welcome to another episode of the Streaking Line podcast. Once again, my name is Pierce, and uh, once again, I've got Zach with me. Hello, Zach. How's it going? I've got a uh, construction noise going in the background. If you can hear that Ooh. right now, so that's fun stuff. UVA College always, show. always constructing things and uh, always ben, improving. Ben's back to join us because we're talking basketball. Ben, hello. How are you? That I am. How are you doing, Pierce? Good, good, good. Uh, this is a, a, a bit of a, a special episode. I think we're going to put this up uh, in between our weeks of uh, football coverage because we want to talk about happy things. Um, I don't know. At this point, maybe they've beaten Louisville, and I feel happy now. So hopefully, if you're listening to that, that's the case. But if they lost, you can know that I'm unhappy, but happy to be talking about basketball. <laughs> and we're doing a special uh listener or reader crowdsource mailbag zach got the tweets he got he got the texts he got he went around the nukem dining hall and just asked people for questions about the basketball team and um you know we're the experts who are gonna answer uh uh, these questions so you guys ready i I feel like we got so many i don't want to i don't want to dawdle let's go all right let's go Question number one, normal late season rotation for most Coach Tony Bennett teams, seven to eight. Does this group allow for a larger rotation as the team appears to be too deep at each position? That's two, the numeral two at each position. Added depth, will we see a bigger rotation this year? Ben, what do you think? You know, I would disagree, I think on Tony usually going to seven to eight guys. I think recently it's been a seven to eight man rotation late in the season, uh, but that's less a product of that's the way he wants to play basketball. I think it's more Mm -hmm. a product of there are seven to eight guys who should be getting minutes on this team. And after that, you're really stretching yourself thin. Um, I think he's proven in years where he's had really good teams that he'll uh, sort of play guys five, six, seven guys every single game, pretty steady minutes. And then beyond that, maybe go eight or nine deep situationally. Um, And I think hopefully this season he'll have an opportunity to do that uh, because you have six guys who are basically locked in for heavy minutes. That's going to be Kihei, Reese, Armand, Jaden Gardner, and then Caden Shedrick uh, as those five returners, starters from last year primarily. Uh, And then Ben Vanderplas coming in as the transfer from Ohio. I think you can all but write their names in and pan on the depth chart as guys who are going to be getting big minutes every game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Francisco Cafaro probably has an inside track on pretty consistent minutes just because he's been around. Um, all right. And I think they'll be hesitant to go small. Uh, I don't think those lineups worked too well last year. They might lean, up, lean on them a little more with Vanderplas, but – I think Coach Bennett likes having a center on the floor. Um, And when that's not Shedrick, it'll probably be Kafaro. And, you know, from there, uh, that's where you get, is it going to be seven to eight guys? Or are these young guys going to step up? Because you have Tane Murray, you have Isaac McNeely, you have Isaac Trout, um, Ryan Dunn and Leon Bond as well, um, contending there. Although if one of them ends up redshirting, that might not hold true into the season. Um, and so I think this question does allow for a larger road or this team does allow for a larger <laughs> rotation. Um, if the young guys turn out to be good, in which case I think you'll go eight or nine deep and not, I won't speculate on which guys it'll be, but I think if you are going eight or nine guys deep late into ACC play and maybe into postseason play, it's a sign that things have worked out and you've maybe hit on these young recruits more than we might be expecting coming into the year. Uh, Zach, maybe in in regards to that question, but also Ben's answer, do you see a 10-person rotation as, as possible, like a legit two deep? Um, maybe. I mean, I, I basically, without actually talking to Ben before this, I basically wrote the same exact thing down where I wrote the first six names, then a line, and then like the I said, basketball experts tonight. Exactly. Like, uh, the following six going Kafaro. Not in Kafaro as the seventh, and then the rest of the guys. I think Dunn and Bond won't be in the rotation, so that's narrows your number of down from twelve to ten. Um, Dunn's coming off a foot injury um, that he suffered, I think, in the spring at the end of his his uh, senior high school season. Bond 
um, has always been a guy that sort of like was talked about doing a retro when he committed. So I think those guys are probably out of the picture just because you have players in their positions. Um, and then I think, yeah, I mean, it comes down to sort of those, those three guys in Murray McNeely and trout. I think McNeely will get minutes. I think he could legitimately be, I'm not going to say the sixth man. Cause we probably have Vanderplas in that. Like he's going to get the most bench minutes, but I think that McNeely could be um, sort of right there with him and that Kafaro could lose out on minutes eventually via Vanderplas or Trout. Um, it'll be interesting to see the balance between Murray and McNeely and sort of what you're getting with one of them versus the other. In Murray, you have someone who's been in the system for a year, who's a tough defender who you can count on there but hasn't necessarily proven that he's going to be a ball handler on the perimeter. He played a lot of small ball four as a six, five guy last year. McNeely gives you, and, and Murray can hit threes, but I think only connected on 35% last year, which was you know one of the best uh, percentages on the team, but that's not saying much. Um, in McNeely, you have a guy who could probably hit 40 plus percent, especially if he is sort of a complimentary player in the offense. Yeah. Um, he's also played the pack line in high school. So he knows the system, not to this extent, but I think that, that, nine is possible i don't think that they're going to hit 10 just because there is enough overlap um and sort of if if one guy performs if, if, if mcneely steps up that probably means that murray steps back and we're not really going 10 deep it also is sort of a product of recent key hay playing a lot together and having you don't really have a backup point guard you have two starting point guards who can then one can go out and rest while the other one plays point. So it's like, you don't really have sort of like one point guard, four guys, one point guard, four guys. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm sort of on, on the same page. Yeah. With Probably going eight, nine, which is a good thing compared to last year when, and they have lineup uh, versatility there, which they yeah. didn't have last year. Um, so I think eight or nine, as Ben said, and then it all sort of depends on, on how these young guys perform, which I think they'll perform well. The question for me is, does Isaac Trout really pop? Because he really could. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you guys. And and the question makes a good point uh, to, to emphasize late season rotation, because clearly we're going to see, um, you know, every scholarship guy, unless someone redshirts at some point early in the season, I would imagine in, in as Tony tinkers with his figuring out his rotation, the only way they get to 10 in my mind is if it's got to be done or bond play their way onto the court, you know, just are bringing something that they haven't had in the past couple of years uh, on the, on the depth chart, uh, you know, as far as skill set goes. So if 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 playing in that wing position, I I, I hesitate because Armand sort you know can defend in that role, and and that's sort of where I'm thinking. But you know, if one of them is a lights out shooter all the time, can defend in that role, he might just take Armand's minutes. You know, who knows? I I don't. I'm not predicting that. I'm just wondering what the likely scenario would be if they did do a ten person rotation. But I think it's unlikely to get there. You make a good point on Dunn and Bond because theoretically as sort of like each of their ceilings is not a type of player that they currently have on the roster. Mm, because exactly. in, in Dunn, you have a 6'8 wing who can potentially score the ball. In Bond, you have a 6'5 wing with crazy wingspan and a great defensive instincts who can also score for, I mean scoring from the mid range. I mean, you know, obviously you got Gardner, but like he's, he's going to be a defensive man. It's going to be on the defensive board. It's going to be all over the floor. So in their sort of peak, you know, what players they could be, absolutely. They could bring that. It just, as you said, you know, it, it's unlikely such slash a question mark if they could do that in year one. I think you guys have both hit at a uh, sort of lineup versatility that this team has that we have not had now for at least one year. <laughs> and I think it is realistic for us to have a quote-unquote 10-man rotation in that there are 10 guys who regularly get minutes. Um, I don't think there's any chance that, especially once we get into the games that matter, 10 guys are going to be playing in any individual game. But with all the versatility that's added by having some of these new guys on the roster, uh, there's a chance that against some team you might, I don't know, need to spark off the bench so you pull in Ryan Dunn and give him extended run. Mm -hmm. Or against one team, maybe... 
they're having a really hard time defensively or they have a big slow plotting center. And so you're bringing Isaac Trout off the bench instead of Francisco Cafaro to sort of take advantage of that matchup. And so you could end up with 10 guys getting consistent minutes, even if there aren't 10 guys on the court every single game. Yeah, definitely makes makes sense. We'll see. I bet eight or nine is, is I, I think nine, honestly, looking at I I I I think Trout is definitely going to play in that rotation. And then I think that means either other Isaac or Dane Murray has stepped up. Um, so that would be my best guess. All right, next question. Who do you think will be our best player this season? And who do you think it needs to be for us to make a deep run in March? I laugh at the best player, X factor, most important player, leading scorer, et cetera. But uh, obviously we know the point of the question here. So best player and to make the best run, what's what's the optimal answer to that question, Zach? Uh, I think, especially early in the year, it will still be Jaden Gardner. Um, he will likely still be this team's leading scorer. Um, just from a sort of predictability standpoint, you know what you're getting from him. You're getting a 13 to 15 point per game score. And the only reason that he would not score as many points is if he had fewer minutes because it's deeper rotation, as we've talked about. Needs to be Therese Beekman. Like, I, I think that's pretty obvious. Yeah. We've seen from year one to year two, moderate improvement from Reese. We're still looking for that huge jump because he's got that potential. Um, and we're looking for that in an offensive perspective point of view aggression as a scorer right. all that that goes with that he's inconsistent in the sense that his offensive game is always very different game to game that's not a horrible thing but if you're looking for like who's who's going to be the guy to bring virginia back into a tournament run i think it's pretty obviously reese beekman obviously you can throw other names in there as well um shedrick a couple, couple other guys i mean you know whatever but but i think that reese is sort of like if this team is going to be really good this year, it's going to be on his back. Man, it's funny that you said Shedrick there. I was running through the other options in my head because I agree with your answer. And I'm thinking, okay, what would my second answer be? Shedrick didn't even occur to me. Uh, it's not a slight against Shedrick at all. I just hadn't considered whoa, what if, what would Shedrick is your best player look like for exactly. this team? And it would be something else. I mean, that that, <laughs> that would be massive. Um you know literally and figuratively uh ben do you, do you have a different answer i mean broad strokes no um i think Jaden gardner is pretty clearly the best player on the team right now and it has to be reese for a big run um i do want to since i think this question almost invites um negativity towards Jaden gardner in that you're su- like the oh, conclusion yeah. is supposed to be oh, yes, he might be the best player right now, but he doesn't give us the highest ceiling going forward. Uh, Jaden Gardner is a really, really good basketball player. Transferred into the ACC, instantly all ACC, third team. He led the team in points and rebounds last year. He averaged more points per game last year than Ty Jerome, DeAndre Hunter, or Justin Anderson ever did in a Virginia jersey. So he's already a very good player. Stat boy coming in hot with the history i love it uh yeah i totally agree yeah he's he's fantastic i think maybe i assume zach your point is is what i'm feeling which is we've su- we've seen the team with gardner as their best player and sort of being forced into playing some of that hero ball which which ties into your point ben with the points per game but not not that that was a bad thing for him the, the team needed him to score that much but that team was also on the wrong side of the bubble so yeah, is, his ceiling, Gardner, is his ceiling higher than what we year. saw? I don't know if if you run your offense through Jaden Gardner, I think you're right. I think we've kind of seen what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And he handled it about as well as you can expect. But that's kind of just the ceiling of what an offense that relies heavily on mid-range jumpers right. runs through these post-ups looks like in the modern era. And I think uh Reese Beekman centered offense just by virtue of the shots shots you're getting which are going to be good looks at the rim either from Reese or guys he's setting up in the pick and roll or three pointers from guys he's setting up with his drives right I think the ceiling of that is tantalizing in a way that another year of Jaden Gardner 15 points per game might not be makes Gardner Gardner could be more efficient like it, he, mm-hmm. he could improve on that front, but it sort of just comes down to exactly what Ben just said. It's it would be a byproduct of an offense that does not rely on him as much. If 
if he can develop, if he can pull that range out from 15 feet, you know, maybe stretching out to 17 to legitimately being a three point shooter. Um, then you talk about an offense that has so many pieces. And, and if Reese takes that jump, Gardner could be a far better player than he was this last season and score 13 points a game. Right. So like that, that option is there. I'm um, so and, and I've, I've, I've self-talked myself into Caden Shedrick, best player, best case scenario. If he, if, if, if he, he makes, makes that jump. Right. Ooh. Right. I mean, <laughs> we're talking about a type, the type of player that UVA has not truly had in the Bennett era. I, I mean, you know, Mike Scott, sort of, you know, but yeah, I mean, you're probably thinking Mamadi, like yeah, that yeah. sort of the player. And like the mold for him is Mamadi in 2019 and not in 2020. So you're looking at sort of like <laughs> the guy in the pick and roll, yeah, yeah. but and, and a, an eraser defensively, um, more one on one. He's bigger. He's got like, I think he's two inches taller than Mamadi, probably more filled out at this point in his career. Um, while also adding more back, more sort of pure power back to the basket game in the sense of like, I'm going to put my shoulder into you and then hit a hook shot over you. Mm. Whereas Mamadi was more face up game. Um, and so Caden, like it's probably more realistic for the 2023, 2024 season if we're talking about this, but if Cade makes that jump to the point where, okay. And he's also hitting that 10 to 15 foot mid range jumper so that he can at least pop a little bit there and add some versatility to the pick and roll offense um, so that he's not always rolling so that they don't have to, you know, put two bigs in the paint in the pick and roll and can, can have a little bit more versatility and a little bit more spacing there. That, that would be huge for this team, even if he isn't the best player. All right. Well, we sort of uh, addressed some of the the thoughts that I think will come up in this next question. But uh, the question is, does this season simply come down to the growth of Reese Beekman as a playmaker? A playmaker, Zach. I think we've seen him as a playmaker be very good. It's about, I mean, I think I mentioned it's about him being aggressive as a scorer. And and getting the basket for himself and putting up 15 points and being an 11 point per game scorer along with his six assists, because, you know, if he can start hitting a little floater, you know, off of the pick and roll when he gets that step, when he gets that burst. Um, And, and it it also comes down to like, as we sort of pointed out a number of times now, the offense being better around him and having more spacing, which we think that they will have this season. Um, but I don't think it's Reese being a playmaker. I think it's Reese just taking the onus on himself and saying, all right, we need a bucket right now. I'm going to go get us a bucket. And he can be that type of player. It's just a matter of has he embraced that mentality and has he taken that next step as a scorer? Because last year when they needed bucket, it was like, all right, let's go to Kihei. And it's like, <sighs> like I love Kihei, but like we've been running the like five, nine guy gets a pick and roll thing for three years now and tries to drive to the basket and get to shot block. I think like Florida State was that, that game where, Maybe it was in the NIT, but but like th- that one game where he just had his shot sent. Um, Reese could be that guy where it's like he can get down the court in three seconds and then get to the rim and and finish through traffic. Um, not that that's the only thing, but Reese needs sounds, to be more aggressive. More sounds like a playmaker to me, Zach, what you're describing. Ben, how about you? I think, yeah, I think there's another issue with expecting Reese Beekman to grow as a playmaker, which is that last season he had 181 assists and 50 turnovers. That's a 3.6 assist <laughs> turnover ratio, which was the best in the ACC and the second best in the NCAA. So I'm yeah. not sure how much you can reasonably expect him to grow. I think his sort of on ball ability as a creator, I guess, would be what you'd be getting at because he does drive looking to pass very frequently. And I think sort of that's a product of having a bit of a raw offensive game. Uh, So not only would I not say that his playmaking is key to the season, I wouldn't say it's the most important trade for him to develop. I think it's much more beneficial to the team if he improves as a scorer. And first, like that gives you a better option at the end of the game who has the size, the athleticism to get his shot off um, in late minutes while also hopefully retaining some of that elite playmaking ability that we know he already has. I think that helps the team take a leap a lot more than another incremental step as a playmaker. All right. Next question. UVA was awful from behind the three-point line last season. Can we expect some improvement this year? It's a 
It's an interesting question to try and answer. I mean, generally players get better here. Usually that would include some sort of shooting growth, but I, I'm struggling to think of, of players and Ben, you might have the numbers to, 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 that do a better job of proving somebody who really improved as a consistent three point shooter under the training so, Bennett. So like looking at this year going forward, we're going to have well, the two point, the three point shooting issue is almost twofold in that they're not good at making threes and they don't really take threes. Last year, yeah. they were 247th in three-point percentage and 340th out of 358 in three-point rate, which is pretty abysmal. Um, <laughs> the guy I would look to as maybe having the biggest impact there is Vanderplas, um, in that he's just a guy who's going to come out and let it fly. From watching his highlights at Ohio, I don't actually think I actually don't think he shot a great percentage at Ohio, but yeah. part of that was because of the shot selection. Um, and that is a dude who is absolutely looking to chuck it up. If if your basketball sensibilities are offended by a six nine guy taking step back threes, this may be the season to turn tune out or at least when <laughs> Vanderplas is on the floor. Um <laughs> I guess the next best candidate would be Armon. Yeah. Um if you believe that two years ago when he shot forty one percent from three is who he was, not last year when he shot twenty five percent from three. Wow, yeah. whatever it was but I mean it's tough because you're returning most of the same roster and with it you're returning most of the same issues yep uh, Zach what say you yeah I mean if you're looking for the comp of someone who improved as a shooter under Bennett it's Justin Anderson like that's go. that's the yeah. that's the name and that's who Armand Franklin worked out with I think in Miami this offseason oh. so if that happens that's the story that everyone's going to be getting of Armand Franklin worked out with Justin Anderson who did the same thing six years ago seven years ago in, in 2015 um I just did the quick math uh so Armand took nearly a third of UVA's threes last year at 32 he took 32 percent of them and shot 29 percent mm. so if you're looking for what we know about Armand, he says he's a streaky shooter. He goes over four one game, and then he goes five for seven, and then he goes one for seven, and then he goes three for four. That's just sort of how it goes, and it's a matter of can he get that consistency, especially as just a catch-and-shoot guy, because he's comfortable taking a dribble, stepping back, shooting the three. That's why he's good in the mid-range. Can he get comfortable as that three-point threat from the outside when he's getting feeds uh, and passes from Reese and Kihei um, who are getting downhill? Um, on top of that, can we lessen the volume of shots that he's taking perhaps so that when he starts over three, he finishes over three rather than finishing over seven. And then you plug in, I don't know, Isaac McNeely into the game who can then hit three so that Armand's total percentage of threes for this team is closer to like 20% of them. So that even just a, a slight improvement to like 34%, 34% is like a solid number. You know what I mean? Like if you're just talking about a guy that you have to respect hitting 34% of your threes is a solid number. I think it's, um, it's easy to see that the the amount of threes he he's going to take is you know, percentage wise is going to be low because of right, who they brought in. Right. It's also a question of will Reese take a higher right, value? That too. He yeah. t- he hit 33.8% last year, I think. And that was a much higher number in ACC play, especially early in ACC play. Assuming Reese takes more, assuming Armand takes fewer, as Ben noted, uh, Van Vanderplas is added into the equation and hits more shots. Maybe Jaden Gardner steps out. If you're putting Isaac Trout in the game, you're putting him in the game to be a three-point shooter and spread the floor as either a four or five. So the guys are there to make this happen. Um, I think it's just a matter of execution and of we thought Armand Franklin was going to be this 40-plus percent shooter from three and then he wasn't assuming that you know Vanderplas still hits a decent at a decent clip even from he likes to take them from range like he likes to be out there a little bit um assuming right. that that improvement happens then then yeah I mean the, the, this team can be 34 percent 35 percent as a team all right well I appreciate the the optimism it does you know I think make logical sense there'll be some improvement uh and then you consider the guys who've been added to um in your podcasts on uva hoops this offseason zach tane murray has been barely mentioned what's his role this year 
one would think he's a candidate to step up with a year under his belt. Zach, why aren't you giving Tane Murray the respect? Well, this is Caroline's fault. Because this is this is about the Italy trip podcast uh, when yeah, we had Caroline the on, and then and then we were done. like we were like ninety minutes into the podcast, and you were like, "All right, let's wrap this up." And Caroline is like, "Tane Murray." Well, <laughs> all right, all right. Um, Dang, so that's, that's she's not Caroline. here to defend herself, but uh, she's. We're at, gonna find out a soccer she, game right now that that I should probably be at, but we're gonna find out if she listens. Yeah, that's, that's we're all right. But point what is the potential for Tane this year. And if you want, you know, we could get into expectations of, of reaching, you know, that ceiling. Uh, yeah. We sort of already talked about how he easily could fit into this rotation. It depends on the other guards and, you know, his development versus where's McNeely, right? Uh, is right. Armand playing all ACC caliber that we saw flashes of? You know, that's going to limit anybody's minutes behind him. I think with Tane, he's a physical player for a guard. He can take contact and he's got the potential to be sort of a three and D guy who can also pump fake and get to the rim mm. at his best. Um, you know, he's he's always been someone who's been a little bit broader for a guard and can take some contact. I mean, even when like I scouted him back in like 2020 or something like that, that's the player that he was. Um, and so not scouted watch youtube clips of i'm not you know um and so if he can be that guy who hits 36 percent from three off the bench and can give you that and then gives you the effort defensively and gives you that physicality while also one of his big issues last year is that it, it was clear that bennett and and his staff were not comfortable with Tane handling the ball they didn't want him out on the perimeter uh, they didn't want him doing that so they used him as like that small ball four that they didn't really have that they thought well, that they wished Cody Statman was, but Cody Statman wasn't. Um, and so, if I mean, Tane can be a utility guy. You know, I think he can be a, you know, the sort of minutes per game averages over a season are skewed because, like, somehow Jay Huff played 10 minutes a game in 2019 when he, like, didn't play in ACC play. But, like, he could be a serious, like, 12 minutes per game in ACC play type of guy um, if he can hit from three, if he's better with handling the ball and isn't sort of a risk to turn it over. Uh, then he can absolutely be sort of one of the guys in the line there. And it's, then it sort of comes down to how good is McNeely and how many minutes is, is he demanding? Yeah, makes sense. Um, ben, what, what's your expectation there? You know, I really like Tane Murray's game. I was impressed when he saw the floor last year, especially mm -hmm. in person. I thought he, he had a very good demeanor about him. And I like the way he has a sort of simplicity to his offensive game in particular, where he gets the ball and he knows what he's doing with it. He's driving, he's putting up a floater, he's taking a three. And I think that sort of confidence and decisiveness is something that last year's team lacked at times, which is why yeah. it was almost refreshing to see him get a chance on the floor. Um, I think that his role to minutes is ultimately as a three and D guy, uh, which is tricky because we're not sure how good he is as a defender. Um, I think he, he works very hard on that end, and I think he has the frame. He plays bigger than he is. Um, he plays strong. There's a reason when he got on the floor he was a small ball four because they trusted him to go get the ball and hustle, even though he's a bit undersized for a four. And I actually don't worry quite as much on that end about the other end, the three-point shooting, which is interesting because his jump shot looks really nice. Um, he shot 20 of 59 from three last year. That's 34.8%. Again, you take it last year with our state of three point shooting, but given the shots he was taking, that's not exceptional. And then he played seven games in the FIBA Asia cup this summer. Mm -hmm. And on about six or seven threes a game, he was shooting 24%, which is not mm -hmm. what you want to see from a guy in an international competition. So you want that number to be going up over time, not going down. And I almost wonder if that might be the limiting factor because I really think he brings this sort of toughness that this team could really use, especially off the bench for 10, 15 minutes in ACC play to just come in and be a sort of innings eater who doesn't make mistakes and doesn't turn the ball over, doesn't try to do too much and doesn't make defensive errors. And I think that as long as the shot can be good and he stays the same hard-nosed, defensive and offensively confident player that we know he can be from that Iowa game last year. I think he has a chance to play. I think it won't be quite as flashy 
or fans will not be quite as happy if Tane Murray is getting those bench guard minutes than if, say, Isaac McNeely is getting them. Hmm. But I certainly think he could be a very, very valuable player for this team this year and going forward. That's interesting you said that because I was thinking if he takes, you know, the the steps that would mean he's in the rotation to to a serious degree, he's sort of an easy to see fan favorite type of player because of that energy and so and you know like earnestness yeah <laughs> it's sort of a hard way to describe it but exactly what you're saying like he he's a kiwi <laughs> yeah yeah right? i guess i mean he's, he's a ki- like, jack salt yeah yeah exactly. yeah playing p- different position obviously but has that that mentality so i i could see i could see tane murray fans excited uh to see tane checking in every time because they know uh, that that, that hard nose kiwiness <laughs> I will say that at the games last year, he'd get some pretty good, pretty good claps when he came yeah, in. Although, yeah, how that, much that of that was, was anti desperation? That was anti Well, freshman yeah, and that, the team's yes. bad. Yeah, yeah. Try anything so else. Anyone yeah. but Statman, not pro right. clapping, but maybe it'll be pro clapping right. this year. Igor got the same thing. Remember <laughs> he, Igor? Got the, he got the claps. He got the remember, ovation. Remember that guy who was on the team for like a month? That's yeah. He's going to be. He's going to be good, and we're going to be upset in about three oh, yeah. years when he puts up 30 in the NCAA tournament for where, Charlotte. Where do you, Oh, Charlotte. Yeah. yeah I mean, with he's, Ron he's Sanchez and Tony Sanchez. Bennett's son. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know that Eli was at, at Charlotte. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I look forward to them upsetting us in the NCAA tournament in a couple of years. Uh, jokes, 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 jokes. Okay. Speaking of jokes no will virginia return to being a top 10 team and adjusted defensive defensive efficiency zachary yeah so i i pulled the numbers i pulled a little band i got the stats out for this one yeah uva has finished outside the top uh 50 in defensive efficiency four times in the tony bennett era in 2009, when they were 70th, 2010, they were 71st, and 2011, when they were 71st. Don't remind me how old you were during those years. Don't, uh, just don't say it. Right. Six, seven, eight. Um, <laughs> and then in, in 2022... I was being when... sincere. I didn't want to... <laughs> Zach and I don't remember those years. We were busy trading Pokemon uh, cards on the elementary school playground. Oh, my God. Playing with our silly bands. Yeah. I went I to David. I, Le- I went to Dave Leto's son's birth, like six-year-old birthday party. I don't know what silly bands are, and how are you friends with all the basketball coaches' <laughs> children? <laughs> I went to stab. Who are you? Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. Which I right, went to right. because my mom t- taught there. I am well, not. Yeah. You know, we love all our listeners, no matter where they go to high school or send their children to high school. Yeah. So, there are no judgments from me, Mr. Public School. Okay. <laughs> um, back to the point, UVA was 59th in defensive efficiency last year, uh, which you have to go back 11 years to see something as bad as that. A lot of that is new pieces. A lot of that is new pieces who aren't Trey Murphy defensively. You know, like they, mm. they brought in Gardner, who was a defensive plus at times, but that was also 25 games into the season when he had a one-on-one matchup that he could focus on. And that frankly, he was oddly suited for, but also played incredibly well against Paolo Boncaro. Like that, that was incredible. But as a team defensive player, he was not suited for that defense. You then had Caden Shedrick, who is a potential plus defender for this team, especially this year, but last year fouls, obviously a huge issue. Um, and then, Beekman added sort of that like you can take the ball away and the team had some steals last year and I think it was sort of like had the highest steal percentage of any Tony Bennett team that's just off of the, my head uh, but like th- they were able to get some takeaways last year but just the team rotations um, defensively and sort of like the individual defense especially in the front court wasn't there the question is is Shedrick going to be a 30 minutes per game type of guy at center or at least like t- 28 sort of can he sort of lock down the back end be that shot blocking guy be that um you know guy who can hedge out on pick and rolls and really disrupt offenses reese is going to be great Reese should be the defensive player of the year um and then it's a matter of okay with one year in the system is Gardner more comfortable with the rotations um can you incorporate these freshmen well enough uh to sort of have this defense be efficient effective and uh hopefully ben vanderplas does not get taken advantage of too much um 
it sort of especially if he if he's playing as a as a four or five or even if he's stuck on the perimeter as a three i don't think this team is to, to get to the actual question i don't think this team is a top 10 adjusted to fit uh defensive efficiency uh but maybe top 30 maybe sort of like in that range of that 2021 season when they were 36th and then the offense was like 17th um that's sort of maybe where, where this team could land but i don't think top 10 is is on the table all right ben do you agree you know, it's really hard to talk yourself into a team that ranked 59th in defensive efficiency, uh, returning their six top minute getters as significant parts of the rotation, bringing in a major piece in Ben Vanderplas, who is not a great defender, um, bringing in some young guys who are absolutely going to struggle defensively, as most young guys do in the Tony Bennett system. Uh, if That is if they have enough time on the floor to struggle. Um, it's really hard to talk yourself into this team being top 10 in adjusted defensive efficiency. Uh, you'd have to assume a lot in terms of internal player development. I think the path would be Caden Shedrick just turning into an all-world Rudy Gobert-type defender. Who, <laughs> like basically or what possible, Mark Williams yeah. did for Duke last year, where yeah. this Duke, that Duke team had all sorts of communication issues on the defensive end, but at the end of the day, they had Mark Williams sitting in the paint deterring shots at the basket. And that's how you get a great defense as an elite rim protector. So I think their fortunes are going to rise and fall with Caden Shedrick. Um, obviously, you have Reese Beekman, absolutely elite defender, uh, insane how much he impacts the game at his size. As six two guards just don't do what he does. Uh, they were eleven points per pos- eleven points per hundred possessions better with Reese on the floor defensively wow. than without him, which is a just crazy number for a six two wow. shooting guard. And it does help that you know you have one guy who's going to be incredible, but then you also have some limitations. I uh, just physically in that you have guys who like Jaden Gardner just aren't quick enough to stay with some guys and probably aren't big enough to play the five. Uh, you have guys who are slow on the perimeter, like Kafaro. You have guys like Kihei, who for as dogged as a defender as he is, you saw it against Houston last year and probably will this oh, year. Short, Marcus Sasser just getting <laughs> shot over. You calling, are you calling Kihei short? How dare you? This podcast. <laughs> I mean, you know, the truth. Hurts, it's, tough. it's tough. It's tough on the basketball court. He yeah. certainly does the most he can to make up for it. But at the end of the day, like if a dude can just come down the court and shoot over you, it doesn't matter if you can press him 70 feet while he comes and does it. Um, it's just a limitation that the team's going to have. And there mm-hmm. are a lot of spots where the team just kind of has limitations and overcoming all of them to get to top 10 in defensive efficiency is a tall ask. I am swayed. I agree with you all. We can expect improvement, but that would be probably an unreasonable level of improvement to expect next question how does bennett plan on using kihei clark and yet continue to develop the first year guards hmm zach just on a basic level tony bennett doesn't go into any rotation decision as i want to develop these guys that's not how he thinks so like I, I get this question and I completely agree with the sentiment of it. That said, that's not Tony Bennett's objective. His objective is to win the game that they are going like win each game and what's going to be the best option, best sort of rotation to play in that game, the best players. Yeah. Um, and it's simply going to be a matter of, are those guys going to give and prove enough to help win those games? Because if not, as we've seen, Tony will play Kihei 35 minutes a game, even if there are high potential guys on the bench, because they need to be contributing now. And that's just, that's just Bennett ball. And it won us a national championship. Um, but it it's also part of the result of why we've had a couple of seasons where you'd go, ah, you know, um, over the last couple of years. All right. And I think Zach hits at something that I had in my notes too, which is that Tony Bennett's been thinking about the future for the, past four or five months going out on the recruiting trail every weekend offline to high schools, watching 16 year olds play basketball. And once the season starts, it's going to become very short term for him. And that's kind of going to go by the wayside. Uh, That's kind of what coaching is at the collegiate level. Like you're thinking about the now you have to win games with the roster you have. 
And I don't think we have anything to suggest that Tony Bennett is going to think that his best lineups aren't going to involve Kihei Clark. And I don't, yeah, priorities, number one, above everything is going to be winning games and like very low down is going to be player development. And that can happen in practice too. I don't think the coaching Mm -hmm. staff maybe sees it as crucial that you get on the floor your first year in order to successfully develop as a player. And I think there have been debates to be had in the past about whether UVA's best lineups do involve having Kihei Clark on the floor. I think looking at the options that are going to be on the team this year, it's going to be very hard for Tony Bennett to decide to play well, it'd probably be an unproven first year in Isaac McNeely kind of in that backup point guard spot. I think a much more realistic world involves less Kihei and Reese pairing more right. time with Reese as the sole ball handler on the floor and maybe a diminished role for Kihei. Although I still think it'll be really hard for Tony to bring himself to take him off the floor at the end of games. I, I wonder you know, when you say diminished role, it's it it sounds negative, but with a team that has actual usable depth and compared to the crazy minutes that Kia has played for the team, uh, it, you know, it, it clearly could be a positive um, if, if his roles are, or if his minutes are, are a, a lesser number than they were. Uh, I mean, in 2019, Kihei Clark had perhaps his most diminished role in his career yeah. and was very good as a role player, um, stepped up when he was called upon there in that Oregon game and the NCAA tournament. And he's simply a guy who I think is better almost as a facilitator, as a third or fourth option. Definitely. And he's been kind of forced into a role that, doesn't befit him as a player. Um, and I actually think if Kihei does take on this quote-unquote diminished role where he's sort of facilitating more, taking the backseat to Reese Beekman, sort of helping other guys play, I think you might see another sort of 180 from the fan base as they remember that, oh, as a role player, this guy is a really freaking good role player. Yeah. And this I, team also I, ha- again, yeah, diminished right. role means like what? 28 minutes a game you know like it's still you know it's 30, not gonna be probably right exactly it's not gonna yeah. be less than 28 so yeah this team also has the most quality depth that uva's had probably since 2019 in the sense that like i mean there just hasn't really been maybe that that 2021 team um but in in the sense of who's going to replace kihei's minutes this is sort of like the team that could do that um, more than any other because of Reese's presumed, assumed, hopeful ascendancy as that guy. And then the pieces that could be played around him and the sort of idea of, man, it's a lot easier when we have a six, when we go six, two, six, four, six, four, six, eight, six, 11, then six, two, five, nine, um, especially defensively and just shooting the ball and in terms of spacing even um, because those seven, eight inches matter, especially in height matter in spacing as well, because guys have to close out to Isaac McNeely harder than they do Kihei Clark. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll echo right. everything else that, that you guys said though. All right. All right. Well, um, what is the team ceiling and floor this season i mean this <laughs> you know it's it's a it's a good it's a normal good excellent question it it amuses me because it's uva basketball <laughs> and, and so we know the ceiling is the roof right the, the, the ceiling if everything clicks it truly is championship level basketball no matter what at this point now i i don't think that's the realistic expectation to have but you know if enough things click competing for an acc title at least is is very much the ceiling and if you are doing that hell you could make a run in the tournament everybody you know it, 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 you're that level you're going to be in that conversation the floor is missing the tournament <laughs> the floor is not finding consistent three-point production, having, you know, good at times and not good at times, mid-range and inside production and defense that isn't exactly at the level that we have come to love under Bennett. And the, the rotation never finally clicks and the scoring just doesn't, uh, you know, take the step that we need to compete in, in the ACC and they're a bubble team and they 
they don't make the tournament and they lose to Mississippi Tech or whatever. <laughs> like that I don't mean to seal the question, but I hadn't gone first and and it's just I'm laughing at how crazy the range is. And that's that's particularly a, a UVA sports thing, but also I think speaks to uh, that there's so many question marks to this team despite the fact that everyone's returning because the team wasn't very good last year but showed flashes of greatness in beating Duke if we were returning a team that won the ACC last year the floor would be much different right but you know the ceiling is always going to be here unless I don't know I think this team is is I would put money on this team making the turn I, I think this I is think the it's a smart bet. Like, yeah. like I, 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 do, I think the floor is losing in the first round is sort of what I'm trying to because. Oh, sweet summer. No, child. but here's the I thing. Think. Here's the thing. If you take out the JMU loss, if you take out a couple of, you other, take those, out all the losses to terrible okay. teams, then they didn't lose any games yes. to terrible teams. That's but <laughs> if we just look at the beginning of of last season and what this team was versus what it became. And there was always inconsistency, but I think that what you get in bringing this team back and complementing it with new players is that you can build that consistency because first of all, there was no consistency. This team needed a miracle to beat North Texas. But I'm saying that, okay, well, North Texas wasn't a horrible team last year, but also, but also, but also, listen, when, when, when Armand, and I said, when Armand Franklin is 0-3, you can pull in Isaac McNeely. They couldn't do that last year. So you at least have a consistency in the sense that when players struggle, you can bring in other players. Yeah. Also, you're banking on, other than Kihei, you're, and, and probably Kafaro you're banking on those other four top six returners all making a jump. You're, you're banking on Reese making a jump, Caden, uh, Gardner, and Franklin. Gardner limited, but but to some extent, I think we all know what Kihei and Kafaro are at this point in their careers, um, not to take anything away. I think that those jumps mean that you lose less of the dumb games, that you have enough of that talent on the roster that you can, you can get rid of those bad losses and that way the duke game that they win matters a lot more i agree with you that the ceiling is first or second in the acc making a run in the tournament i jotted down elite eight i don't think they can get that much farther just because like the guard play would have to be really good for them to make a final four run like that's the biggest cliche but like it would have to be really good and we'd have to be having that caden like season that we've talked about um but i think they're absolutely in the running for definitely second in the acc Maybe first, depending on what they can, uh, how they can handle you. So, well, I mean, I don't think the floor is what's going to happen. I don't think the ceiling is what's going to happen. I think somewhere in the middle is what's going to happen. No, I know. I I don't think, I I think there is. I'm just teasing you for saying that the floor isn't missing the tournament. It's it's better than that. I don't think this team can miss the tournament. Unless (laughs) an injury, unless we're talking about it, I don't think they can miss the tournament. Like you can put it in the small percentage, but I think that they're in it's the, the same team. It's the same six guys. What are you talking about? I'm not. And again, I'm not saying no, I'm know. not pessimistic. I'm, I'm very optimistic. I agree that there are plenty of reasons why this team will be significantly better despite being the same guys. But, but goodness, I mean, we've seen the, the results already. Ben, what, what do you, what do you want to pile on with me here? Or... <laughs> My, yeah, am I, I uh, wrong? It was nice, I think, because this is a tricky question for mm-hmm. UVA, especially after such a sustained run of success. And I think any other year, you'd have to be incredibly pessimistic to suggest missing the tournament. Um, but as Pierce gets at, it's the same top six players from the team that did just miss the tournament. So it's at least a feasibility. It's a world that you can imagine. I don't think it's going to happen. It it is certainly not hard to imagine. I mean, the last memory of this team is losing at home to St. Bonaventure in the Elite Eight of the NIT. And I think there's at least a little bit of risk in that they could be that same team. Um, And as Zach was getting at, like, yeah, if you take out some of the bad losses, which I don't think will happen this year, early in the year especially, because I think those JMU and Navy losses were sort of products of 
a new team. You also had some wins where you might have played above your talent level a little bit. I mean, everything had to go right for them to squeak by Duke and Cameron 73-72. And I'm not saying you should take away that win from last year's team, just like you shouldn't take away the JMU and Navy losses. But a team that has really high highs and really low lows is just an inconsistent basketball team. Mm -hmm. And having Tony Bennett at the helm is why I'm inclined to lean towards the more positive end of the projections because the dude is one of the best coaches in college basketball. And I trust the internal development at Virginia more than most programs in college basketball. I think Zach is right that anything above Elite Eight is kind of insane to project given how little top-end talent this sure. team really has like look at the teams that made the final four last year duke unc ku villanova these teams are just loaded virginia barring some sort of it would have to be a cinderella run they aren't yeah. going to get there because they're one of the best four teams in the country i don't think i think a realistic outcome is get to the tournament win a game um anything else on top of that is kind of gravy given the roster that you have and more so, you want things to look good with the young guys so that you can feel good about projecting them to finish a little bit better next year. And maybe the level of team that could make that miracle cha- like Final Four run, that's the Caden Shedrick ACC Player of the Year team that, that we've been with, that we've, we're manifesting on this. Uh, this was not my intention coming into this episode, but this is, I'm, I'm, I'm all, all aboard for this uh, coming to fruition. Let's see what the next question is. is before we do, they finally posted, and I, Ben will at least know what I'm talking about. They finally the Ryan posted Dunn the Dunn. Ryan Dunn poster. They finally put it up. All right. Yeah, You're going to put it on our going, website? Uh, I might. I might right. have to. Um, right. I'll so, look for it. Rumors. Yeah. So, rumors for years circulating uh, of the Ryan Because in game one in Italy, basically everybody that was there is like, he just absolutely ended somebody's life. And then it right. wasn't in any of the highlight reels. Huh. Like they, they never, what? and then they just did their like best of Ryan Dunn in Italy. And this guy's offensive. I mean, his athletic ceiling is ridiculous. All right. Well, uh, why don't we, why don't we come, come to a conclusion with one final question here? um a few good ones to choose from but i think the one that's going to be the, the the best to discuss is do we need a pure point guard or can we be an elite team by recruiting and starting combo guards is there's a lot to this question I'll, I'll ben i'll let i'll let you sorry i don't need to pontificate on this but i think you you probably know what i'm getting at so I think pure point guard is kind of a loaded term in that it kind of suggests a dude who can like really distribute the ball, but kind of at the loss of the ability to score the ball, Um, which like when you're drawing this sort of comparison, I would much rather have the combo guard who's able to create maybe not as well as the pure playmaker, like Steve Nash running around the baseline, getting 14 assists a game, but a guy who can get it on shot at the end of the game. And historically, Virginia has been at its best when they have combo guards running the show. You want Ty Jerome, you want Malcolm Brogdon out there, dudes who can handle the ball and go get you a bucket when you need it. And I actually think BVA's like blocker mover scheme with how heavily they lean into that. You almost don't need a pure playmaker point guard because so much ball movement is already baked into the system. Mm. I would absolutely prioritize targeting combo guards over your ideal pure playmaker. Makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, there's a level of threshold with with ball handling ability that Coach Bennett and staff, you know, require. But we've seen that we need a point guard who can be a consistent or or at least reliable score. It doesn't have to carry the team, but, you know, someone who can get a bucket in those clutch clutch moments. And and Zach, I think it's it's just it's the terminology is sort of funny because to me, a successful point guard is a combo guard almost you know nine times out of ten at least yeah combo guard is just a weird like whoever like the combo guard if you're using it in the definition of can play shooting guard or point guard Mm -hmm. then 
I'll take Malcolm Brogdon. Like I'll, I'll right. take a, a three Malcolm Brogdon. It's like shooting guard. We know what that means. And right. it's almost like most teams would have combo guard and shooting guard together. Right. right? But if, yeah. if you change the question of can UVA play with three shooting guards who are decent handlers and can hit threes? Yes, they can be successful like that. Sure. With that said, though, I still think you want that floor. You still want that Ty Jerome, Kihei Clark, Reese Speakman. And I specifically say those guys and not somebody like London Prentice because of the changes in UVA's offense and their mm-hmm. willingness to go high ball screen more mm-hmm. often and their willingness to give the ball to one guy and say, okay, this, the floor is going to be spread and you're going to have options to make plays either for yourself or for others. So from that standpoint, and just getting away from running mover blocker for 85% of the game and 85% of their offensive sets. Um, I still think having that pure point guard, that decision-making um, guy is important. That said, he still yeah. needs to be a scorer and be a yeah. guy who could be a combo guard. Cause we also see with Reese, if you, if you count Reese as more of a potentially pure point guard in the sense that he doesn't score for himself as much or at least hasn't through two seasons you need more than Reese so like it's hard to like build the perfect player maybe London Johnson would have been that um but I I still think that that you want that sort of guy and I still think Bennett really wants that guy he just hasn't been able to get him um so yeah I mean we'll see what happens And, and this is obviously in the context of UVA not getting a 2023 point guard after they targeted we're going to do a 2022 point guard then it was like oh key hit fifth season so they're like okay let's do it in 2023 and then the london johnson drama unfolded mm-hmm. and then they thought they had him for like six months and then they didn't and then they've just struggled to um get anybody else and now they're looking at somebody like ty davis in 2024 who is sort of a ty jerome quote-unquote combo guard type are we um, out on el marco well i, I don't I don't think he's he's I think we're still in on El Marco, I think, but I, I think as far as his, his releasing on social media yeah, is concerned, I, I mean, I mean, like, I honestly haven't leaves, been yeah. clump. I have been so into UVA football's season <laughs> so far that I haven't paid close enough attention to that. OK. Um, and actually, you know, our, our, our other question that we haven't was about El Marco like, talking about the offensive changes in how UVA is a more European offense. Ben knows more about this stuff than I do, frankly, but I think what he was getting at as was sort of a point guard role in the high pick and roll and making plays as an individual. And that that sort of plays into needing a point guard and, and, and sort of wanting that guy. And that's what they pitched to him. Yeah. So, I mean, you already just got to the, the question I was skipping for time, but uh, this is recruit who mentioned UVA shifting their offensive system and that be clearly being part of the pitch to this guy. So Ben, as Zach alluded to, can, can you give us a little details on what he was alluding to? I think the allusion to like a European system in general is kind of funny. Cause like if someone said an American offensive system yeah. like that, that's just <laughs> such a broad term. I think that in the sense El Marco meant it, um, it's this very traditional, you have one ball handler point guard who brings the ball up, running a lot of um, variants of like high pick and roll. Uh, Spain pick and roll is super prevalent in all sorts of European offenses, which is sort of an inverted pick and roll with a second back screen behind it. But these sort of little complications where you're playing off one player's sort of virtuoso ball handling ability as a point guard. And then you have some secondary guys who can go score and you have a very traditional big who's sort of working in tandem with that point guard getting down to the basket and lots of ball movement, lots of running set plays and the sorts of stuff that I think if you were trying to pitch a point guard on coming to your school, you might want to say. All right. Well, you know, I I would love to see it. I'd also love to see Marco on the who's. I think he's a good player, really good player. So uh thanks guys this was fun uh we, we talked at great length so i'm gonna go ahead and cut it off <laughs> and appreciate everybody listening i miss i miss you guys and talking basketball it brings me back to that how, how'd the sixers do did they, didn't they did, lose did, win last season or this yeah. season because we're, we're season, two and yeah. three season baby i'm, I'm, I'm talking it's bringing me back to last season when when you guys were all and then 
I, I'm just teasing. All right. Well, Malcolm Brogdon on the Celtics. I'm on the Celtics train, man. Malcolm <laughs> Brogdon, Sam Hauser, like connecting for like it's 30 hard to keep points track. in two games. There's too many teams that you want to see win now. There's too many, yeah. too many NBA players. Too many league. Eastern teams, frankly. Yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> too All many right. non-Sixers. Well, okay. Now we got the Warriors, so we could just be Warriors fans and make it easy on everybody. All right. Um, well, uh, stay tuned to the blog, folks, as we get closer to basketball season. It is really not all that far away but uh you know maybe we'll have some football wins to talk about uh next episode so until then after everybody is streaking i'm pierce go Hoos.